So before we kick off, this is sort of kicking off, but it's a bit of a... Uh, firstly, thanks everyone for coming. This is very weird, but uh, also it's really nice to have a bunch of people here who sort of... Um, well, I think we're not, not necessarily nerds, we just kind of enjoy, all of us enjoy kind of nattering about things that are interesting and we all find railways. And, and the thing about rail natter is, I, I, it's not, for me, it's not just like a technocrat thing. It's not just a, oh, we like technical detail, we don't get adenoidal. It's not about the technical detail, it's about the context. It's about, well, okay, that technology is interesting, but actually, why is that interesting? Why is it, how does it fit into the bigger picture? And actually, the, the technology and the trains and what class numbers and stuff is actually a small part of the bigger picture. And actually, I think generally, like for people who watch Real Now, it's about like, actually, we all care about it because we want to, you know, still have a planet to live on in 50 years. And a part of that is, um, is, is understanding what we need to do and campaign for and tell our MPs to do. Part of it is encouraging people to join the industry to actually make that stuff happen. Um, but also, in that fight, in that struggle, it's nice to love the thing that you're fighting for and struggling for. And, and I try and capture all that in a real matter. Uh, I think, I mean, I was do a soft start. Normally I've got a button to press, which allows me to sort of say things. This time I haven't got a button to press, which I suppose means that um, ha having said, well, yeah, I'm going to say it again. Thanks everyone for coming. This is weird. The, the vibe, Old the vibe we are aiming for tonight is that moment in primary school when the when you go into a weird stuffy room that's got loads of books, dusty books in it, and someone wheels the VCR trolley into it. That's tonight's vibe. Yeah. That's the vibe we're going for tonight. It's a bit, the TV's a bit low. It is, yeah, it's a bit low. But anyway, right, so hopefully everyone can see. And, and, and that basically means that I think it's time to see if this is working. Actually move on to the news, because we are starting. And I have very little news tonight, because um, this is a pre-recorded episode. Hello to ev hello everyone in the chat. <laughs> Hi. It's an episode of Rail Matter, but there's people, and it's a thing. Uh, so the, the, all I can, so the, the news, someone sent me this last week and I didn't put it in last week's news, which I'm glad of because I'm going to put it in this week's news, um, which is actually not last week's news, the week before's news. This is going to confuse me all night, isn't it? Uh, go to, go to um, centralstaden.se because there's a really nice, it's like how website, con, like how um, station consultation websites should look. It's a really good website that I'd like, strongly encourage you to like go and look at because it's a really nice way to explain like also, it's like the niceness of when you know infrastructure investment happens. Uh, yeah, that's nice, isn't it? When that happens. But there's a really nice, really nice sort of um, like consultation website that's like just a, this is jumpy because I'm scrolling down and like I like scroll, scroll. Oh, that's a thing. Keep scrolling. But anyway, um, you can see it's just nice. Look at that. It's nice, really nice like consultation website. Look at it. It's great. If only we did things like this for uh, you know major infrastructure investment and had like an outreach program so that people understood what it was for. Or indeed, if the people who are, who are procuring and prescribing and specifying said thing knew what it was for. Wouldn't that be lovely? We can but dream. Uh, also, it's just kind of nice. But look at that font. That is like a mighty font. It's just very nice. Very nice indeed. Anyway, like, that's just me. That's enough of that. So, um, other news that is, I think, uh, just kind of on broad things that are a bit thematic at the moment, and particularly given what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, we are still waiting on quite a lot of, so not just Carmen, you know, I think it's really, you know, it's been a long time, it's been over a year, it's been a long time since, uh, you know, the, the, uh, we had a, a fatal derailment. And I think it's, given that there, there's lots of changes going on in the industry, we're not, there's, there's no, there's still not been a report, which I think is a real problem. It's a real issue that we haven't had that, you know, we haven't had a report back yet. Um, and indeed, have we had any accident reports for quite a long time? Well, we have actually, we've had quite a few. So there's the, 
uh, Chalfont Latimer one, where it was like London Underground and, a, and an overground train started facing each other. It was, no, it wasn't. It was a Chiltern service yeah. facing. Anyway, there was a heavy rail and LUR trains facing each other. There was um, an incident at London, Water, at London Waterloo, which I don't actually know about, an LUL one. Uh, near miss with staff at uh, Rollins Castle, the Sheffield station derailment, that freight train derailment. At some point, we're going to pick through some of these in the Natter episode, actually, because they're quite interesting. Um, uh, the speeding uh, between Lawrence Kirk and Port Lethen in Aberdeenshire, so south, south of Aberdeen, that's an interesting one. Um, the derailment of wagons at Toton, and um, and then the f big fire that happened um, in Carmarthenshire, uh, near, uh, what was it, Llangenich, uh, I think it was. Yeah, um, so they have done some reports, but all of these are fairly minor incidents, uh, and they try, uh, the, the pattern emerging is that they stagger them, kind of try and have a, a report every month, which, yeah, okay. <laughs> The challenge with this is that industry needs to respond to events like this, and there are, there's quite a lot that we need to learn from Carmen, particularly relating to things like climate change. Obviously, you all know that I would like to see them talking about rolling stock. I don't think they are going to. I think they're going to chicken out from that again, but they're not, you know. And the other thing relating to this is we have and, and we have massive industry change on the horizon. I mean, it's always been on the it's been on the horizon for for years now, but we have massive industry change on the horizon, and in, particularly in relation to the, the interaction of. Um, different organisations that, that all have safety facing, you know, passenger and, and freight facing safety critical roles. How are those um, changes going to impact on safety? Because the last time we had massive organisational change, we also had a large number of fatal incidents. And uh, several of the crash reports from, from the 90s and the early 2000s are viciously scathing about the way that organisational change happened. And I have not seen any major safety assessment reports about that industry change none and it kind of ties into this issue of like safety is slipping we talk big about safety and all of us are perhaps taking more personal responsibility about safety but um as with lots of things personal responsibility is not a replacement for organizational skill yeah go for it i was just going to say this is exactly the sort of thing where Everyone just sort of ignores it until something big happens, yep. and then there's yeah. a real oh crap moment yeah, when we start exactly. taking it yeah. seriously, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it slips and it slips, and then something else happens, uh, and we can't basically we can't let it slip. We yeah. must be always on our guard. We cannot just... exactly. We cannot be reactive to safety. We're at the point where we know enough. We've seen enough incidents that we should be being proactive. We should understand all these things. Um, Abby, sorry, yeah, go on. The rulebook has changed with how we report cooling water from carbon. Interesting. Okay, so there are, so there are, so yeah, so there are some changes, some alter, so But yeah, I, my main worry is that they're that they're sweeping massive industrial changes happening, or in theory happening. I've yet to see any of them materialise, and I've yet to see any risk assessments about the impact of those. I and mean, that will be a real matter. Talking of which, uh, <laughs> here is a train, and it's 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 it's, it's made it, it. It should not look like that. It has made a break for freedom. Uh, it has made a break for freedom. Said break for freedom um, is uh, involved it involved it not breaking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, quite. It has not breaked and has and has leapt for freedom as a result. And we're going to talk we're going to talk a bit about this incident. We're going to mostly be talking about not just uh, buffer stops, which, as you can see, a buffer stop was involved in this. Uh, I, I would say that the buffer stops involvement in this incident is tangential. Uh, because all it's done really is launch the train towards a glass wall, which is not good. We're going to talk a bit about that. We're going to talk a bit about what goes into buffer stop design. We're going to talk about, but we're more broadly going to talk about how you stop trains that are moving when they shouldn't be. 
um, moving in directions that shouldn't be moving at speeds that shouldn't be. We're going to talk a bit about that. And yes, there's, there's only going to be a little bit of signaling. I know the signaler, we'll get to the use signalers, settle. But um, there is going to be some signaling chat, but mostly we're going to be talking about the physical things we can do to slow down trains. Um, and basically, that means that uh, without further ado, we're going to, going to kick off tonight's uh, episode of, uh, of Rail Matter. City 225 fading away. There it is. Lovely. I knew that was coming. Yeah. So um, before we kick off the episode, though, I just want to shout out to, um, uh, well, not shout out. I'm not a Radio 1 DJ from 1987. Uh, this uh, whole thing, this whole shebang has been in aid of you know, raising money for uh, York LGBT Forum. And um, all of the money that you paid, less Eventbrite's fee, uh, which came out of your 15 quid, all of that's going to be going to York LGBT Forum. Actually, Matt, you can, you've given the most because there was no Eventbrite because you paid me directly. So you've yeah. paid the most for the York LGBT Forum. Congratulations. Yeah, um, uh, yeah no, so um, we have actually raised... Not, it's okay, it's, a, it's just a, a fairly decent sum. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to change the world, but £261.12, I think, is nothing to be sniffed at. Um, and indeed, if there are more of these, uh, particularly if they're in York, uh, we'll continue to raise more and that will add to that total. Uh, but that money is going to go towards uh, York LGBT Forum, who do, um, well, they do all of the things you'd expect a LGBTQ plus um, charity and, and kind of organisation to be doing in, in somewhere like York. So they're, um, they're there for uh, kind of for organising events and raising awareness and being a, a kind of uh, events for the community there and to sort of uh, make people's lives easier and to provide channels for people to uh, and kind of support for people who are um, working through whatever they might be working through and so hopefully that money is going to allow them to kind of do more of that uh, particularly at the moment when things are quite tough for significant portions of the of the lgbtq plus community i think the trans people in particular at the moment being pulled into culture wars i think it's really important that we provide support and, and one of the ways we can do that is indeed by raising cash so thanks to all of you all of you you're brilliant for for, for kind of making that happen so 261 pounds 12p will be making their way to york lgbt forum who are um uh, and i'll probably be sending it via just walking over to the portal bookshop at some point <laughs> during one of my lunch breaks it's just behind us here in pivney um, and and saying here's some money um Yes, but first of all, so that, that's great, um, but we are here to talk about not doing things, but stopping things, uh, weirdly, thematically. And so um, here's a picture of a, of a buffer stop in a, a, what appears to be a canal. This is actually, in, this is actually over in, um, uh, I think this is over in Northern Ireland. Someone tweeted me this, and I thought this is a ridiculous picture of a buffer stop. Which, uh, I mean, trains hopefully are going to be slowing down of their own volition before they hit that thing in the canal. So, buffer stops. So imagine the worst is happening, right? You're coming along, you are uh, approaching York Station here, coming north. Um, also, it's weird when you see a train head on and then you, the S&C turns you. I still find that. I've, I've done a couple of cab rides and it's always weird. But you're coming to the station and you cannot brake. Something goes wrong and you think, uh, yeah, as a driver, you're thinking, oh, yikes my train's not stopping for various reasons that is a scary thing to happen and indeed uh on the 11th of july 1995 um uh down in the southwest of scotland that is precisely what was happening um for a driver who um got out of the the cab and ran back through the train telling people to move further back down the train stay ahead of them like move back down the train and brace 
uh, because um, their fairly nice new orange and black um, electrical multiple unit and decided it was going to just smash through the, uh, it wasn't going to break, and it was going to careen its way through the station, uh, through some nice benches, and make an absolute mess of quite a nice railway station. Um, and here it was emerging out the other side of the station, completely, thankfully no one was, no one was seriously injured. Um, the, the actions of the driver really contribute to make sure, also it was, a, it was a quiet train. Had it been the next train, things would have been worse. How often do we hear that? We are, we do, live on luck far too much in this uh, in this industry anyway um yeah uh, i think that, that, that you can see they're absolutely wrecking lynn's wool shop uh, absolutely obliterated lynn we're sorry that, that our train demolished your wool shop it wrecked the station the station was like bulldozed flat and, the, and it just like basically became a glorified halt i think until recently when they or fairly recently when they built it up again so yeah trains smashing through things is not good and trains for various reasons might be let loose you know it might be a, an issue with signaling it might be an issue with the vehicle. Could be an issue with low adhesion, as we've seen with the the incident near Salisbury recently. You know, low adhesion is a, is a, is a serious risk on our railways and an increasing risk, in fact. And um, it could also be because of driver error. There's a potential that the that driver error is an issue as well. As and, and we'll maybe pick through some of those sorts of issues. But in the in the majority of cases, it must be said. I, I, in fact, the vast majority of cases, it's because of some systemic issue, a brake failure, adhesion issues, um, or a signalling issue. Uh, in this issue, in this situation, it was a brake failure, I believe. Uh, you can sort of see the you can sort of see the Scott Rail logo. This my laser is going to no, it's not going to work. Anyway, you can sort of see the Scott Rail logo because this is 1995, the weird period where like it was both a private and a not private railway. Very strange. Anyway, uh, and actually, so I dig, dug into the stats via the railways archive because it's actually a great. Okay, the, Gary needs to update the kind of the back end of the website because he's getting a bit tired, um, but he's got plenty on his plate at the moment. At some point, I'm sure he will. If anyone wants to help him do that, shout out to Gary Keener, go and help him out. But the Railways Archive went in and, and searched how many incidents there have been um, in, kind of related to this episode uh, from uh, 1948 to today, and there have been 77 runaways. So that's not just signals passed at danger. Signal passed at danger, there have been hundreds. But in terms of actual train runaways, where a train is careening away without an, uh, kind of not in any particular control, the driver has not got control of that vehicle. There have been 77. Um, and how do you stop that happening? Your train has run off. How do you stop an errant train? What do you do to stop it? Well, um, I'm going to list off a few different ways to do it in not particularly scientific order, but probably in my own personal order of like preference of what you would and would not want to do to stop a train. Indeed, the first way that you want to stop an errant train is uh, that you don't, uh, at least not immediately. You do not stop said errant train. You let it just do what it needs to do. You let it pass. You just make sure it doesn't hit any other trains and let it just coast to a halt safely. Um, you might be thinking, wait, what? But no, that is by far the best way to stop an errant train is to not stop it. Just get everything out of the way, let it safely coast to a halt and then and, and, or until a point at which the driver can regain control you know where the gradient is sufficiently small that the braking you know the, the whatever for whatever reason or adhesion picks up again or whatever it is let everything out of the way of the train and let it keep going that's what they did on the london underground with the uh, tamper ran away really so let, just let it oh i remember that and they just let it roll through and then until it was safe yeah exactly that's the way to do it so let's just jump to the first of all it's 2019 uh, there are going to be quite a few incidents that we're jumping to. That's part of I, I, the, the structure of this episode came to me in a dream. So uh, <laughs> some reason, this is how it's going to work. And so, um, and so excuse me to put this picture up, which I nicked off the Times website and have no intention of attributing. Um, uh, here is uh, here's a lovely picture of the Caledonian sleeper, but with 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 the bridge in the background, the finest uh, structure 
by, built by humankind in the world. And on the on on the first of August twenty nineteen, this train, or or at least sort of a, a, a the the um, the electric uh, locomotive led version of it, decided it was going to just cruise its way through Edinburgh Waverley without anyone having any control over it because um, shenanigans had happened with the brake system. Uh, I think a stopcock was positioned is positioned in a not great way on these first version of the of the Mark V coaches, um, and the positioning of that meant that it could be knocked. Uh, either inadvertently or indeed by stuff uh, into a position that isolated the brakes and stop and meant that the braking uh, the available braking power was not there on the approach to Waverley and it's all downhill on the mid Calder lines into Waverley so you've got quite a lot of momentum to, to and also it's really fast the line if ever you're on the trains coming into Waverley from from like the Glasgow side it's pretty fast you're going pretty fast until like quite late on so you're as drivers you're expecting to have some you're expecting to have some like power behind your brake at that point you would like break back exactly so when it didn't happen uh, not a great situation for the driver um thankfully what did they do well the signaler just routed the train through until it eventually slowed until the until that balance of braking power and and and, and speed matched and then it slowed to a kind of a, a halt kind of by the end yes a little aside but driver didn't press the big red button it was the big yellow button in this case ah. so not everything around was stopped and things could could that's fair. so the driver had the press presence in mind like actually i don't want everything to stop i want that's ah interesting okay so that's very so the the advantage of the big red and big yellow buttons are are substantial depending on the incident this is why you train drivers well, everyone, and why drivers are paid the good money, because they have the presence of mind when they are, you know, when they have several hundred tons of not stopping train full of passengers to go, hey, you know what would be good is, is if I didn't stop all the trains around me, I'll press the yellow one. Fantastic. So um, that was a situation where you don't want to stop the train, you want to keep moving. Um, oh, in fact, yeah, I, I copied and pasted the, the screenshot of the, the report, and it shows where the train went through, routed through platforms 11 and 7, um, and, and it, I think it just sort of paused on the just just outside Colton South Tunnel. Um, so good stuff. Uh, that's what you want to do. Now number two. Now uh, in terms of the standards hierarchy, so me as a design engineer, Lewis, if you're paying attention, as a design engineer, apparently a design engineer, sand drags are quite low on the list. In fact, they're arguably at the bottom of the list in terms of ways I want to stop a train. But in terms of the like operational annoyance and the damage, potential damage to a vehicle. In the situations where you would install a sand drag, actually a sand drag is probably the number after just leaving the train to do its thing. Sand drag is probably preferable, particularly say you've got a class 66 trundling along. Um, a sand drag is probably not a bad way to bring it to a gentle halt. Uh, sand drags are this sort of thing. I'm not going to dwell on sand drags much because there's not much to say, but it's essentially just a pile of sand that you've put your track in uh, and you might or might not have a buffer stop at the end. But, but the idea is that that friction, the weight of the wheel squishing down on sand, it's just a load of friction and it brings the train to a halt. You aren't going to rely on this to bring a, 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 you know, a 75 or 125 mile an hour um, passenger train to a halt. This is for low speed and you're not going to rely on, a, you know, you're not going to put a, a full freight train into a sand drag either. This is really for uh, kind of wagons or light locomotives, the sorts of things that you might expect to be, to, to, to be kind of running down. Often in industrial uses, you'll maybe have one of these at the end of a head shunt, something like that. So that's the sand drag. Oh, go on. Used on roads as well. Uh, yes, they are. In fact, one, one version that will be used on a road. Yeah. Yes. So there's. Uh, so there are some on Porlock Hill uh, outside of Lynmouth, uh, Linton Lynmouth uh, in Devon. We were having Devon. We were having Devon chat. Sorry, everyone watching. Yes, Devon. There's one near here on the bridge uh, on the hill that I can never remember the name of. That's on the way to um, uh, on the way out of Stamford Bridge, heading towards uh, like Market Wheaton. 
there's there's a load of sand sand traps there for your vehicle. So um, sand sand drags. That's that's a way to slow down a train. Fine. Uh, and indeed, uh, none of you can read this because that's not the point. But there are standards. We we have standards to design sand drags. They are still a thing that we can design now. You're recognising pages from two or four nine there. Lovely. Uh, so, right. The next way we can stop trains is with what we call, actually, this is, a, I should have put a Venn diagram here because uh, people, generally, they're called trap points, but actually there's a specific meaning of trap points and catch points. So, um, but these, these are sort of, uh, they're sets of points that are used to send trains to their doom uh, and, uh, and, and in various situations. So three, trap points and catch points, I'm going to use them as the same thing. And, and, and for those who can see the screen and those at home, hello everyone at home in the, on the, on the, the pre-record, uh, these are the two different things. So first of all, we have trap points. Now the point of trap points is to stop trains going onto main lines. So you trap a train before it can get onto a main line and cause trouble. So you'll have these on uh, sidings, depots, freight areas. Basically, a little, it's, it's like a, it's basically a switch, you know, a, a switch. Indeed, the, the latest design, you're supposed to include a crossing as well, actually, to make sure that you're, definitely deflecting the train and it doesn't just run through it. You deflect the train, it lands in, it, you also have to design a safe space behind it, it lands in that, stops. Um, what you shouldn't do is design that they have an OLE mast right behind them uh, and indeed wipe out all of the approaches to Paddington Station. Don't do that. So those, those, those are trap points. Catch points are for flinging trains off main lines. There, we have far fewer catch points on the network for good reason, but we you use those a bit like you use sand drags on a on a road. Actually, yeah. if you've got a steep hill, a set of catch points are a good idea to put at the bottom of the hill. Um, so catching going backwards. Yes, ah, back. Okay, that's. A, I know. I always thought of it as like going face forward, but actually, yeah, if you run backwards, then you've got catch points to. Yeah. So basically, if your train is uh, generally at the bottom of the hill, you might find a set of catch points. I think there are some at Licky Incline. They're at the bottom of Sloth. There's. Pro Actually, I'm not sure. There's enough run out, I think, in geometry that I'm not sure there are any at the either side of Dromochter, but there are certainly some at Sloft because that's these ones. Uh, I don't know which the trap points are there. I, I can't remember where those ones are, but the, the, those catch points are the ones at Carbridge. So they're at the bottom of the steep bit from Sloft down southwards towards Carbridge. Uh, so there they are. And the way I, I was trying to think of a way to remember these, um, I don't think there is a way to remember which one's which other than just learning it by <laughs> rote. It like I was like, oh, what catch off? It doesn't catch on. There's no way to remember it. You just have to kind of know. They are all trap points. Catch points are a type of trap points, I think. Pway uh, nomenclature is ridiculous. So here's the car bridge one, and um, and we're going to jump to. It's a date. This is all very, very um, Justin Rosniak. When I start reading dates out, <laughs> on the fourth of January, twenty ten. Um, the driver of a freight train, and as class 66, the driver of a freight train, actually the driver of James the engine, uh, saw this view and was like, oh, this is great. Um, and uh, this is the top of Sloft. There's a kind of a very steep stone cutting with a single track railway, uh, and it just climbs over the hill before. So you've just climbed, you've just worked the train, the you'll have worked your loco, worked the train very hard climbing up the hill from, it's a pretty relentless hill coming up from Inverness to get over the top of Sloft. Uh, indeed, here is the um, the vertical, uh, the, the kind of the, the gradient uh, profile. Um, coming out of uh, Inverness, it's just very, very steep. You've got brief respites kind of beyond Clod Moor and uh, beyond uh, Daviant, but it's pretty much relentless uphill until you reach Sloth Summit at, uh, at 401 metres above uh, Ordnance Datum. Then you have to test the brakes and you have to ensure that those brakes work. Um, 
And in this situation, for a variety of reasons, partly because the Class 66 is aerodynamically horrific, uh, <laughs> both in the top and the stupid scoop thing to make it look like a diesel hydraulic that's like makes it the most aerodynamically inefficient locomotive on our railway right now. But also in the design at the bottom, the scoop design means that actually it encourages airflow and, and cold icy slush to go onto the braking system. This is bad, particularly if you might have as a driver inadvertently not done enough of a braking test, which is what was found to happen here. And the result was that the train careened down the hill at speeds of up to, I think nearly got to like 100 miles an hour. It certainly got very fast. Uh, it's supposed to not go over 75. So it's a good job that P-Way allows you to go a bit faster than you're supposed to. But um, there's funny, there's CCTV footage that I, that I cannot for the life of me find now, but I did see, I, I saw, I think it was on the news and then I couldn't find it again. There's like, it's like that CCTV footage that's like an image every 30 seconds. And there's like a bunch of people waiting for the next class 170 to come through, still waiting. Then apparently the announcement happened then there's no one on the platform, and then all of a sudden there's a load of containers all over the platform, and you can see that in the picture on the left-hand side, and then James the engine looking a bit forlorn, stuck in a pile of trees, because they used those catch pits. This train, with its brakes having failed, um, careened off, and, okay, there are problems with the design of that catch pit, because it sent, uh, catch pit, sorry, catch points, um, because it actually sent the train towards a load of houses, but, you know, uh, grandfather rights. Um, and yeah, you can hear the, see the picture here. Everyone in here can probably not see this particularly well. When you watch the episode again uh, later, which you don't have to because you're here. But anyway, you can, you can zoom in on that and it's fine. And to be honest, you can pick up the crash report. This image is in the crash report to show you where um, 116 points uh, def de uh, deflected the train into the catch. And then um, there is like, there's like a 10 meter runoff which, funnily enough, for a train going at the best part of 90 miles an hour, isn't very useful. The train basically probably didn't even touch that. It just got air after it hit the catch points and landed in amongst the trees. Uh, and there's poor, poor James the engine being lifted away, having derailed at speed. Poor old James the engine. I don't know if James the engine is still running. I think it might have had its back broke. Anyone know if James the engine is still running? Any proper grisers in the room who know? Anyway, uh, we can Google that uh, in the break because uh, it's break time. Uh, so go and enjoy, buy a beer, uh, support Pivney, uh, have fun. Yeah, and we'll see you back here in, in five minutes. Uh, thanks, everyone. <laughs>
is to use a sliding buffer stop like one of these. Now, the way that a sliding buffer stop works, I'm going to keep this thing uh, kind of playing in the background after I've had a sip of beer. Um, the way that a sliding buffer stop works is that you have your big, sh nice, shiny buffer stop, usually in red, and it has uh, it has shoes that are actually clamped onto the bottom. Good grief. There was one that was very tightly clamped onto the top of the rail. They have shoes that are clamped onto the, the rail head and with a certain level of torque. And so when a train hits it, it'll actually push and slide that thing back. And, if, and the way we designed them is actually to match whatever rolling stop might hit it. So we don't just generically design them, we actually think, right, what is the heaviest? Because the way you have to design it is to the heaviest and lightest train. So you want the heaviest train to not exceed the length at which you've got at, at the back of the buffer stop. Oh, that was a big bang. Uh, so what the, the distance behind the buffer stop is called the occupancy. And you'll always have a limited occupancy. So you might have in a tight space about two meters, uh, at the end of maybe a, a newly built depot, you might have 15 meters or more, 20 meters. My first ever uh, buffer stop design, proper buffer stop design, was for the test track, the Hitachi test track near Newton Acliffe. And they had loads of space. And so I was able to design for quite a long occupancy. Um, so what the occupancy does is your, for your heaviest train, it's going to hit it and slide quite a long way. For your lightest train, it's going to hit that and it's going to stop quite quickly. And what you want to balance is, for the heaviest train, you don't want it to pop off the end of the rails. For the lightest train, you don't want everyone to get turned into meatball marinara inside the train. So you don't want the deceleration to be so extreme that everyone is like thrown out the window. You want that, so there's a balance, and actually we design to, um, to G levels, to certain acceleration levels for, for buffer stops. I don't know I'm looking at camera. Hello everyone, I'm looking at you, it's a bit weird. Um, I, I never look at the camera when I'm doing these things uh, not live, or not in a, when I'm doing them in, a, in my bedroom. So uh, anyway, so uh, while this video of buffer stops hitting, I think you'll have seen a few of these. Some of them you've seen sliding. Uh, this is Oleo, who's one of the manufacturers. That's a nice long slide, lovely. Oof. But what you'll spot for some of the ones that are, uh, and bear this in mind for when we get to later designs of buffer stop, less good designs of buffer stop, what you'll spot is that for the ones that are really firmly clamped to the rail, they actually lift the track. And, and, and that is not good. What you want to happen is a gentle controlled slide. And the reason why buffer stops um, are actually quite, like why we make the decision that we can use buffer stops is because buffer stops can be designed very carefully, which means that you are decelerating the train in a controlled manner-ish. Uh, in this instance, they're testing, so actually they're just firing a little rake of heritage cars at the buffer stop at a reasonable speed to see what happens. I don't know what the purpose of this was. I, I, there's probably some like masters or PhD student looking at these. But the reality is it's just Oleo, it's, it'll be the Oleo engineers going, we never get to see our buffer stops get hit by stuff. Let's do that. Uh, so great. Um, so generally, things you have to think about in buffer stop, we'll move on for this now. Here is a, an example of a buffer stop, and you can see here with the buffer stop you have. This is an example which has, um, now often these, and if anyone, so Lewis, correct the designer, correct the subcontractor, if they're calling them master and slave, correct them, they are primary and secondary units. But on this drawing you'll see there's a master unit and slave units, that nomenclature is horribly outdated, should be primary and secondary units. The, slower, the, 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 the lightest train will just strike the primary unit and possibly so just strike the primary unit and that will probably provide enough deceleration. For the heaviest trains, you might, you're always, but you might well have these secondary units. So as it continues going, the secondary units will be struck and those will add friction and generally bring your train down. And so the heaviest train will strike, in this case you've got three, prime, uh, three secondary units, it'll actually, the heaviest train will strike all three of those secondary units. 
Um, sometimes you might add a little stopper at the end, but actually in most cases you don't actually add the stopper because it doesn't serve any function and it costs money and while you buy it. So they always, the, whoever it is, uh, Progress Rail will always put it on the drawing because they hope that you buy it for the extra thousand quid that it costs. No, one's, no one buys it. Sorry, Progress, you can try your hardest, no one's going to get it. But, um, so that's kind of how a friction buffer stop works. And, and you might, you'll see these. Wherever you see a buffer stop at a station, hopefully you will, uh, if it's a terminal track, you'll hopefully see one of these. You will see a friction buffer stop. And the other thing that's important is that you'll notice um, if uh, kind of at the front of the buffer stop, there's like a thing. It's like it's not just a st traditional like uh, set of pads that the, the old buffers would hit because no trains have nice buffers anymore, really, or very few do. Most of them have a coupling unit. They'll have a, a BSI or a Delner coupling unit at the front, which has a very standard shape. What you want is for whatever rolling stock is going to hit that buffer stop needs to have a thing that will marry into that um, the, the coupler on the front of the train, which means you get a nice safe interface, it holds the train down and then it slides, you have a nice controlled uh, deceleration, everyone stays comfortable and safe, relatively speaking. Um, and if I mash this button, so, so, so things we then have to think about, um, and we'll bear this in mind for all the buffer stop bits, because this is supposed to be the buffer stop episode, um, is that you have risk areas around that buffer stop. So where you so if the train's coming from the other side, it's coming from that, that chair over there, and it's coming this way towards my face, um, the train's coming this way, it, it strikes the buffers, the area directly behind the buffer stop is a high-risk area, the area kind of around, in that, that kind of less dark blue there, is the area that um, is still at risk, you need to think about, a medium risk, and then the area kind of uh, to the sides of that, where a train is very unlikely to just magically slip around, is low risk. There is a chance that if you've got a very fast collision, a way faster collision than you'd expect, um, for example, at stations, we don't necessarily assume like maximum line speed hitting, that you, you do assume some level of deceleration. For example, from a TPWS unit or the signaling, you expect to have brought the train down to a certain level. So for example, we'll design um, buffer stops in stations to, to maybe work to like 20 kilometers an hour or, or 15 or 10 miles an hour, that sort of speed. Um, but even at that speed, you can get quite a lot of uh, little bits of eccentric loading. You can get little bits of spread. You There's a risk that the train, particularly if it's in a zoomer, uh, there's a risk that the train might spread out a bit at a low speed derailment. Uh, and so that's where the area C low risk thing comes in. And what you need to think about is not putting things that might get squished or collapse onto people in those risk areas. So, or in reality, what that means is thinking about what things are in those risk areas and trying to minimize the problems depending on where you're putting the buffer stop or moving the buffer stop along the tracks to change what things are in those risk areas. And you have to do that with, you know, that's part of buffer stop design or it's part of risk assessing existing buffer stops. Um, so the other thing I talked about is, oh yeah, so sorry. Um, for example, here's King's Cross. You can see they've got these, um, these, these big buffer stops. They've actually got additional tracks in there, not just to, um, so they've got sliding units on the inside tracks and the outside tracks to really add a lot of friction for trains coming at a decent speed. And the, the other thing they've got at King's Cross is, hopefully the video will just pause and hold there. No, it doesn't. Oh, it'll just keep looping. But anyway, um, they've actually got what's called a frangible surface. That the train, if good grief, let's hope not, a train overruns at King's Cross, it'll hit that, it'll strike the, the frangible surface. And that's one of the reasons why you're not allowed to congregate on that platform but at the ends of the buffers, because that is considered... Uh, high risk areas so they don't yeah. let pa passengers congregate there and actually the staff are encouraged to clear passengers from there to avoid that so, so that's one of the risk mitigation factors at King's Cross there are loads of risk mitigation kind of uh, requirements at King's Cross 
for all sorts of reasons, but one of them is don't let people congregate behind the buffer stops in, in, in case there is a strike. So that's part of, part of how that works. The other thing is, and here's the front of a nice um, 373, or rather not, it's the, the, the what are they, TMSTs? Is that the French name for them? It's, like uh, that. it's, a, it's a straight TV. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is it? That's oh. The, that's the end wheel logo. Oh, oh yeah, but don't, didn't they get a load of them? No. Oh, they didn't. Well, there we go. It shows what I know. I know nothing about trains. Um, the, it's the front of a standard nice uh, in we. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We, it's the one we travel on. The interior that's like, well, to be fair, the same as the old TGV interior, which is frankly not good. They're not great interiors. The TGVs love the train, not great interiors. Anyway, uh, people are going to shout at me about that. That's fine. I always enjoy that. So anyway, th this looks bad, but actually it's a good thing because the the front bit of the train is designed. If you've got an overrun condition, there is a there's a clamshell coupler at the front of those. And actually, that coupler is the thing which will then be melt. Actually, in this situation, they haven't got a nice thing that it melts with. They've just got a flat panel um, that it hits. And I, I presume these are probably slightly hydraulic, which we'll get to in a moment. But I, I, I like the picture because it shows the sacrificial bit smashing to bits. And it looks dramatic, but actually, underneath that, it's probably pretty intact because the, buff the, the coupler will have struck it. It'll have uh, minimised the damage. Although, if it has the little, if that was like an Azuma with the little sticky out rod thing, that sticky out rod will have snapped off. So. Um, that's why generally you'll see buffers with the fixed. Yes. Oh, questions. Yeah, go for it, Matt. Um, maybe a silly question. Do trains have crumple zones like cars? Yeah, they absolutely definitely do, yeah. Uh, collision energy management, we call it. But basically what that means is the, the vehicles have crumple zones. And, and all modern trains, certainly since the mid-2000s, incorporate those crumple zones. Um, so, that, for example, at the front of the Azuma that had a battle with an HST in Leeds, it looked very... Okay, there were problems with the couplers displacing, lateral displacement of the vehicles at the back which i'm looking forward to there's been some uh, information about that i'm looking forward to more exploration from that from hitachi some design changes but at the front of the train everyone's going oh look the front of that plastic zoom has disintegrated like yep that's the point it's a yeah. sacrificial crumple zone it's, yeah. it's dissipated the energy that's a good thing whereas the hst that's that's upturned bathtub had broken away exposing the pig iron underneath it the, the person in the hst will not have had a comfortable ride and a load of horrible hairline fractures will have been introduced into the subframe of the hst the, the zoomer still came off better in that even though it looked like it came off worse so yeah definitely lee your question well, it's kind of be yeah, it's been covered. Nice one, lovely. Anyway, right, let's talk about buffer stops again. Oh, it's a date, twenty eighth October, nineteen eighty eight. What happened? Um, oh, oh, yeah. That's uh, what what did happen? Thames News. What are we going to find out? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my one of my absolute favourite train crashes. Two little British Rail diesels that went for a little escapade at Staples Corner uh, underneath the North Circular. Um, good grief. I think the story goes, although I'm not sure to what extent this is anachronistic, the story goes that the, uh, or apocryphal, sorry, uh, the story goes that, the, that there's a disgruntled uh, driver, possibly union related issue, who's like, uh, there's some dispute, and they basically chopped the, 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 chopped the train and let it run off, uh, or uh, they removed the chops and let it run down the, the hill. Whether that's actually true or not remains to be seen, but that's the story at Staples Corner. And there you can see um, two, I think they were class 31s, oh yeah. Two class 31s, one of which has very much not come off well. Um, yeah, so anyway, so that, that, that's all good fun. Staples Corner. What's funny about that location, actually, there's a nice picture of it happening. Ouch. Um, uh, yeah, the old BR Blue 31 has not come out of this situation well. What, th there are several funny things about this. The first is that no one was hurt or harmed. Good. Uh, the second is it's absolutely hilarious that these two trains went for a wander and made a mess like this. 
The third is uh, actually that the you can still go and look at this now. The damage on the so so there's a little concrete thing that was built. Actually, I've got the last picture to explain. That was put out of use quite rapidly after that crash. But beforehand, this picture is quite small for everyone here. Sorry, everyone. Those on lovely viewers at home, you're seeing this in beautiful HD right now. Marvelous. So so basically, that's where it is there under the North Circular under that bridge. So the, I can just point. That's where it is under the North Circular. The train landed there. Um, there used to be essentially a shunt neck, a kind of a length that the train could run into and then move back and move to pick up whatever wagons it was. This Cricklewood. So this is Cricklewood sidings, currently being, having been rebuilt fairly recently, being demolished again for the new station at Brentwood Station, right? That's going Brent in there. Cross. Brent Cross, thank yeah. you. Not Brentwood, Brent Cross Station. Going in there. Um, and, and so they, but even, I think, pretty rapidly after 1988, they just stopped using that. What I find very funny is that, um, uh, is that this shunt neck thing this concrete thing was built just to make sure they had enough um it's still running isn't it it's it's yeah yeah nice uh, that concrete thing was built so that it had enough run out so they could get a train out and back they built this whole concrete thing for that bonkers <laughs> who thought that was a good idea it's literally a launch ramp for a train to shoot on. <laughs> why was that a good idea anyway you'll be glad to know that that is not a thing anymore and hasn't been for decades um, you can see all there's a there's a buffer stop a fixed buffer stop out actually, but all that stuff happening there they don't use it so so that's good but it's quite funny but you can you can go and you can if 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 you want to get a lung full of, of air pollution and knocks have a wander down the old ring road uh, underneath the north circular and you can see that still there still with the concrete smash still with a bit of like fence hanging out weird anyway all good fun. Um, Next, ah, very briefly, we're going to talk about hydraulic buffer stops. I have no idea how to design hydraulic buffer stops. I have never had to install them. I don't think we ever do, but they do exist. And uh, here's a nice pair. I think these are the ones at Bradford, actually. Uh, no. I, no, they're not. No, they're not Bradford. They're not Bradford. Uh, well, they are buffer stops that are hydraulic, that are somewhere. Um, and uh, they are Ipswich buffers. They are Ipswich. They're not at Ipswich, but they were manufactured by, uh, what is it, by uh, Ransoms and Rapier Limited. They are hashtag Ipswich buffers. If you want to find more hashtag Ipswich buffers, search for hashtag Ipswich buffers on Twitter. Um, uh, whenever you spot them, let me know because it's fun. I first worked this out because I was in the, uh, the old intercity station in Barcelona. Dina was at a conference. And, um, and I was like, wait, what? Spotted these hydraulic buffer stops that kind of look familiar. Uh, this is them. They're very nicely painted up after they refurbished the station. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, hydraulic buffers, Ransoms and Rapier Limited, Ipswich, England. Uh, Ipswich, UK, actually, but anyway. Um, so the, the Ransoms and Rapier do, do all sorts of things. They make um, my favourite type of mechanical lawnmower. Uh, and they also made the mechanism that makes the BT Tower rotate. So the cafe that rotates on top of the BT Tower, which I believe rotated like twice, was made by Ransoms and Rapier Limited. But they also make loads of buffer stops, mostly all from like, the, they're mostly from the interwar years, I think. So a lot of the ones you'll see around are from like the 1920s, maybe the early 1930s. Uh, there are loads of them around. They, are, they do what they say on the tin. They are hydraulic buffers that you hit and they cushion the blow, but they aren't designed for high speeds. They're very much like super low speeds. They are... Uh, oil or water, I think most of them are oil ones, uh, sometimes the water ones, I think the ones at Glasgow, Glasgow Central are water, because when they were testing it with the 66 recently, and it shot a jet of water into the air when the 66 like, went up to like notch three and like pushed them. Really weird way to test them, but they're, they're all a bit strange, they're somewhat Waterloo as well, in fact, I think all the major ones, they're all 
uh, Ipswich buffers at, uh, at Waterloo, yeah. Uh, do, are they sliding buffer stops? Or are they, no, or so are it's they a fixed, fixed thing okay. with a reservoir of fluids, usually oil or water. Yes, the, the yes oh. so uh, yes, you can see the reservoir. There it is. That's the oh, yeah. reservoir there. Oh, yeah. And so oh, that, okay. that, that basically like uh, whatever yeah, the design is, sometimes they shoot water in the air and it just splashes yeah. everywhere. Sometimes it's within the reservoir as a piston and it just absorbs energy. But again, these don't Trains have a lot of energy, and so those yeah. do not take as much energy as your miniaturised Hornby ones do when you run when you <laughs> accidentally stack it. They don't take that much energy. Anyway, there are hydraulic buffers. Not much more to say about that, but they're less preferable than than sliding buffer stops. The least preferable, funnily enough, um, are the fixed buffer stops. And we're going to talk a bit about fixed buffer stops by describing an incident that happened on the twenty first of April, nineteen eighty two. And we're back to Thames News again. Let's see what's happening on the Thames News. Here's a nice, fairly brand new um, class 508 pet unit at Shepperton. Oh dear. So, glorious BR Blue. You can see the fixed, so the other type of fixed buffer stop, you've got the ones that are made of bullet rail. Also, you have the ones that are just a piece of painted wood stuck to some concrete. Like there are some ones in York Station, you'll spot them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is a very brand new train that's gone for a journey. It's gone for a journey at Shepparton. Yeah. This is, wait, there's a guy, there's, there's, a, there's a guy with vibes that we really have to see here. This is brand new. It's like, these are brand new. They all ended up in Merseyside, didn't they, these ones, the five or eight? Yeah. Um, 20 million pounds plus in the early 80s. It's uh, not an insignificant pile of cash. Um, for the trains, is this guy? Is, this isn't the vibes guy. This is just this is guy, regular guy. You're laughing at his Hitler mustache, but no, this guy's this this is just a nice guy. Well, okay, he's he's a nice guy who's got like he's he does not like these new trains. And um, what's funny is that Ian Allen, who I think at the time was the publisher of Rail, it happened outside their office, which is also quite funny. So, uh, whoops, a daisies. Um, there we go. I don't. I presume this one is still running because the damage won't have been so catastrophic. Like it looks all right. The nose will be smashed, but I presume the front. Well, maybe they might have replaced the front unit. But anyway, I don't know. Um, there it is. Bit of a mess. Wait, where's our? Has the guy? Has the guy appeared to advise? Maybe he did earlier. Briefly at the start. Oh, we're going to get him in a second. Here it is. So trying to demolish Shepperton Town Centre. Here he is. So you'll hear this when I spell. Brakes always going wrong. The brakes are always going wrong. He he told us that, so that was not great. So actually, what happened? What well, this was a brake issue with the um, the 508s. I think, and I, in fact, I don't think. I assume um, that this is because this is a situation where there were pr previously rim brakes, old trains being replaced by disc brakes, new trains. That's my guess. I don't know whether that's exactly the situation. But it's the classic, well, better braking performance in good conditions, but actually they don't clear leaf mulch or greasy stuff off the off the wheels, so you don't get quite that adhesion. I think that's probably what happened. Anyway, once again, a nice, thankfully not a station building getting demolished, but an attempt by another errant train to demolish a town centre. Um, and actually it's not the end of it, because if we jump to 12th of October 2021, these knackered old, uh, kind of fabricated from bullhead rail, Fixed buffer stops got climbed over by a an Aventra on its way up over and attempting to demolish the station building. Thankfully, not having quite enough energy to do so. We are back at Enfield Town, and which brings us kind of towards the end. Everyone's enjoying themselves all around us in the pub. So anyway, right. Um, this is not good, and we should uh, this. 
as having talked about, you know, for example, you know, we go back to these buffer stops. Do those look like they have compatibility with the front of the train? N no. no. <laughs> do they? Um, do they manage energy in such a way that they s gently bring the train to a safe stop within within defined parameters? No, they do not. Um, do they, in fact, propel the train towards all the passengers who are uh, trying to get a, a, a cup of overpriced tea from Upper Crust? Yes. And they, they are a very nice red, very nicely painted. They're, they're largely decoration. Yeah, I think they, these are here, and indeed, you know, we, we can when we do install fixed buffer stops, from a design perspective, where we can't avoid anything else, we consider them to be nothing more than a red stoplight. Like we, we consider them to have no decelerating capabilities whatsoever. They are a liability, we should get rid of them. Uh, and the, the thing is, though, well, I say the thing is, though, actually, this is an example of a situation where I don't think it would be that hard. To, to, so what you need to do to install safe buffer stops, you need to actually have a longer distance, uh, that occupancy I talked about, so that you can have sliding buffer stops, which means you have to push the train back along the platform, which means maybe your platform's not long enough. In some situations, you, you are getting stuck, you have mitigation, but actually at Enfield Town, uh, given the railway corridor, I think you could, you could achieve that by tightening the curve. That curve is, is flatter, than, it, it's shallower than it needs to be, given the train's decelerating to a buffer stop. Yeah. You could probably tighten that curve, extend the straight portion of the platform sufficiently that you could get more usable platform length, maybe even slide the crossover. There's, there is some S&C here. The challenge is that no one wants to muck, muck around with the S&C because that costs money. Yeah. Okay, maybe we wait for the next renewal. That's probably what the excuse is, but I guarantee by the time we get to the next renewal, the argument will come back. It's just a like-for-like -like renewal. You're not allowed to make any changes to anything yeah. other than a like-for-like -like renewal, which yeah. obviously then means this situation perpetuates and we end up launching a train into a station again. Yeah. So my, my challenge, well, really, it kind of, you know, we have, we've had 66 buffer stop collisions uh, since uh, nationalisation, so from 1948, according to the Railways Archive, uh, and of those, we've had 70 fatalities, lots, hundreds more injuries, but we've had 70 fatalities over that period. Uh, the Railways Archive covers the UK and uh, Ireland, actually. It covers both, because uh, there was a major multi-fatality incident that happened, I think, in the, in the, in the Republic, um, during the kind of, uh, actually in the 70s again. The, the major number, the large number of those 70 buffer stock uh, fatalities are at Moorgate, you know, the tragic incident at Moorgate uh, in 75. But it's not all bad news. That's, I don't want to end on a really low point. We have, over my lifetime, uh, since Cannon Street, which is January 91, uh, we've had zero buffer stop, uh, fatal buffer stop collisions, which is, which is good. But, you know, how many fixed buffer stops are still in place on running lines? You know, how many passenger lines end with a, in a station with a, with a fixed buffer stop? Too many, I'd argue. Um, how many could we, can we kind of assess better? You know, here, you know, jump to Liverpool Street, you know, we have brand new uh, flirts there, they're quite nice units. Um, those are running to the same yeah. manufactured uh, bullhead buff fixed buffer stops that we just saw at Enfield Town. Is that good enough? I don't think it is. I think we can do better than that. Um, and generally, this comes back to, like, I know this episode has looked at just slowing down trains that are doing what they shouldn't be doing, but broadly, when it comes, you know, particularly when it comes to buffer stops, can we do more to improve safety at buffer stops? I think we can. But actually, perhaps more pressing a question is, uh, can we do more to avoid demolishing more town centres? Yeah. This is the critical thing. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think we can. Uh, golly. So, um, yes, that's the end of the episode. Good grief. Um, we have, woo, yeah. Um, we have, uh, yeah, we have, uh, it's, it goes out in audio-only form. Yeah, yeah. Hooray, yeah. Thank you, everyone.
it's, it's another opportunity for a cheer in a second. So, yeah, in audio-only form, hello to all the audio-only listeners. God knows how this is going to end up. Uh, but I, I always say that, and somehow people listen to it. So, yeah, all the usual... Uh, locations. Um, if you want to support this sort of thing happening, well, firstly, you can come to the next live one if there is going to be another pre-record. I hope there is. Um, but you can also support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis. Um, you can buy merch, which lots of people here have done. Uh, shout out to all the people wearing Railnetter masks, which I have one in my pocket. Railnetter masks, they're brilliant. Um, uh, from uh, Masquette, shout out to the Masquette folks. Uh, if you just want to chuck pennies and comments at me, you can do that through PayPal, paypal.me slash Gareth Dennis. And um, if you want more of this chat to happen, although this is a load of people in a room, it's not quite the same as Discord. But anyway, you can go to the Discord, which is garethdennis.co.uk slash Discord. Oh, which is, well, the thing which is exciting is that this is the 100th episode of Railnet, though we've just come to the end of, woohoo! Yeah! And yeah! um, good grief, 100 episodes of Railnet, that is bonkers. And to celebrate this, um, oh, we've actually got a load of pizzas around, which is exciting. To celebrate this, we have Hello Pizza Guy. Um, uh, next week's episode is, uh, it's episode 100, which is the 101st episode, obviously, uh, of, uh, and we're going to do, I don't know, this might be really weird. I'm going to try and rock it through every single episode and try and remind ourselves what we've done, because sometimes it's good to look, look back and see what we've done, and also for me to make sure that I... Um, Anyway, yeah, we're going to hammer through all the episodes. Everyone in the chat's going to go, I remember that one, that was fun. We're all going to get excited about Quail Natter. Um, so yes, all episodes summarised. And given that it's 100 episodes, I've got less than a minute per episode. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, I know, right? Um, oh, indeed, yeah, that, that could be that, that quite something. So... Uh, I'm just going to end by reminding everyone, thanks everyone here who, has, uh, who bought a ticket because that money's gone to York L will go to York LGBT Forum. Thanks, thanks to York LGBT Forum for everything you do. Um, if you're in York and you need support, York LGBT Forum are a good place to turn to. They will be getting some pennies from us um, after tonight. Um, and uh, thanks to all of you. And that, that really, I think, is... I think I've got a funny feeling that my next slide is going to be the end credits. So um, thanks, everyone. And, um, and we'll see you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio! Yeah. <laughs>